Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. We are joined together. We are brought together in holy matrimony for not actually holy matrimony, but we're brought together in somewhat of an unexpected fashion. We got the news about, was it? Oh my God, it was yesterday. At the time of recording, it was actually yesterday morning, I think, uh, now that I think <laughs> about it, because they played on Tuesday. Chelsea have sacked Thomas Tuchel. Just going to come right out and say it. Uh, that aggressively happened. I have many thoughts, and I know for a fact Rian has many thoughts, but we wanted to put together just a brief kind of emergency podcast situation. We've, I think we've only done this, what, once in the past? I feel like we've only done it once, and I'm trying to remember when it was. Yeah. I think it was a Super League. That was oh, the, def- only, other, yeah. that was the only other time we've done something like this. But given such a monumental decision affects literally both of us very like significantly, we want to talk about it because there's a lot of ramifications. There's a lot to unpack, and we're going to make it short and sweet. It's not going to be a normal length of, of a pod, but there's going to be a lot of information. So, Rian, let me jump right into it. It's Tuesday morning. You open your phone. You wake up around like seven o'clock most days now, right? So yeah. you're up at seven. And I know one of the first apps you open is that bird app. And you open up <laughs> Twitter and you see the news at the top of your feed that Thomas Tuchel has been sacked by your beloved club. What's your gut reaction? What's the first thing that happens and goes through your head? Let me paint a slightly different picture for you. Oh, even better. I, okay. I, wait, I woke up. And I can't even, I can't remember what I was looking at when I first woke up, but I, I woke up and then, you know, um, it's, what was this? This was Tuesday, Wednesday morning, right? Um, I don't think anything. I go, I go take a shower. Like I checked, I'd already checked. I was like, not worried at all about anything major happening when I woke up, go to take a shower. Uh, I come back and. I open Twitter again and I, I see like some Twitters, like Twitter spaces from like, like either Bleacher Report or, or one of one of these like leading football websites, Twitter account talking, talking live about, oh, discussing Thomas Tuchel sacking. And I was like, what, what, what? And, and I was like furiously scrolling and it takes like two seconds to see, oh, that's what I missed while I was in the shower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> interesting like that was how i that was how i initially found out i wow it it was a real shock a a complete shock to say the least yeah yeah uh thankfully i'd taken a shower before that shock because i i I don't know what my reaction would have been if i'd woke up from bed and immediately saw that i would (laughs) like pissed walking into the shower (laughs) just Um, throw on your phone yeah 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 um but yeah, no. Initial reactions were like a gut punch, like like literally just kicked in the in the stomach. Um, yeah, I, I it was it was shock, it, not yeah. necessarily not necessarily shock that it happened at all, right? It's more of like the timing of it, yeah. I think it which I think is a lot of people's shocks. I'm sure it's, that was probably your shock as well too. It's not that. It's not that it happened because the season had started poorly, of course, and and the the team did look poor in a lot of the games. But still, you're shocked at at how early into the into the season it happened, and and how quickly it happened. I guess after after another poor result and and poor performance. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's what happened kind of leading up to this because my gut reaction to I I just woke up and checked my phone, but I obviously did not have such an angry reaction. It was more just like a shock reaction because uh, I don't support that club. <laughs> but I will say I was still very surprised. I was very, very shocked. But let's talk a little bit about kind of what led up to this point, right? So I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is a subjective take, but Chelsea ever since basically the this turn of the year have not really been the same side they were prior to essentially that period, obviously in the Champions League winning campaign, they they were a very different side. Defensively, in Thomas Zuckel's first 50 games, I think they conceded something like 24 goals. And his his next 50, they conceded almost more, I think more than double that. Yeah. And there's a lot that you can point to in terms of you know the timing of this as well, right? With him having like doubled the win percentage that Jurgen Klopp has so far this season, stuff like that. The fact that he is not here or Brendan Rogers, for example, outlasted him, right? All these kind of little things. But I think there's a larger conversation around the fact that Chelsea have not been performing very well for a large part of the last eight to nine months. Yeah. And I think you saw this last season when they were knocked out by Real Madrid in the Champions League at the Bernabeu. You felt like that was kind of their last gasp, right? The the last gasp to really put a mark on something silverware related um, for, for a little bit of time. So do you think, I guess, this was, this was the right decision? Uh, I, I mean... No, like if we're talking about co- like context of the timing and everything, I, I I'm disappointed at that it happened when it did. Um, look, you speak to me in like three weeks, and and we were still seeing no real progress. Then I I probably would have still been sad about it, but would have had to you know shrug and be like, yeah, I guess it's it would have been hard to argue, right? Um, if the if the performances continued like this, right? But um. No, I think he, I think when you think about the last nine months or so, and I, I think I talked about this a lot, like um, a good amount of the second half of last season, and I think I talked to you about it like shortly after uh, Ben Chilwell towards ACL last season, and like the inflection point of that game where they tore Juventus apart beat them 4-0 but in that exact same game is where Ben Chilwell tears his ACL the that that was basically like the peak of of um of I think performance for the for this Chelsea team and I'm talking about even like just purely performance levels like another level to even how they played in the Champions League final, like I, if I'm just talking about like how well they pl- how well they played in that particular game, right? Yeah, but, definitely. Um, from that point on, it's like it was all very difficult, and that's where I think like you the, those that that 50 game split um, with Tuchel when you look at the how the team played first 50 and the second 50, I I just think that lacks a lot of context of, of what I mean, like including which includes the the Chilwell injury yeah. um which you know if any if anyone is ready to argue with me that um 
having to play Marcos Alonso and <laughs> Lang Sar as your left back or left wing back for an entire half of a season is not going to do damage to your defensive record. <laughs> like, if someone's ready to argue that with me, I'm here. Like, Are you going to forget about Aspilicueta as well? Or <laughs> Well, the, 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 no, my problems with him have nothing to do with the defensive part. It's the fact Fair. that he's a complete zero in possession. <laughs> um, so like it, but but that too and and you kind of look at that uh, uh, plus the midfield injuries that they had and 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 play, have and and have and have now too which yeah which has continued and 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 that has a lot to do with why they you know, conceded three against Leeds why they seemingly have had troubles stopping counterattacks in the first few weeks of this season like like those are all things that have to be factored in uh, as something that was out of Tuchel's control. The other side of it is is that there were other things that are in his control, right? Like just thinking about even his first few months, no, no one forced him to, to like let Tammy Abraham go. Right. And, and no one forced him to keep playing Cesar Spilicueta as much as he, has in the last six months um and it's it's obviously not i don't think it's all i don't think anyone one person gets the the blame here right uh no no i don't think any one person gets the blame but i think there is something just on thomas tuchel that i want to briefly ask you about and that's a little bit about his management style because i think you and i have both read the athletic article that came out today right about Thomas Tuchel, the board, what kind of led up to this decision. And it sounds like from what we've heard and what we've read is that this is something that has actually been the back of their minds, right? Even through preseason, like this isn't something yeah. that had apparently just came out of the whim on the, the back of the, the Dimo Zagreb loss. This is something that from a, from a cultural standpoint, from a managerial or from management style standpoint, all those things seem to be in conflict with with what Todd Bowley um, and the rest of the, the ownership team right had in mind. And one thing that I think is really interesting was his <laughs> involvement or lack thereof in not maybe not lack thereof, but like just involvement in transfer strategies this past summer, which kind of what I want to hone in on for a second. Like mm-hmm. my ultimate yeah. question is, why do you think this ended up happening? But my second level question to that is, do you think, A, his managerial style and the fact that, you know, like five out of the seven attacking players for Chelsea wanted to at some point leave the summer? And do you think it had to do with his involvement with transfers and policy there? Yeah, I, I think if you if you believe what if you believe what, what we both read in that, in that article, and, and I think that article does do a good job of giving both sides, it's it's it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like just a, a hit piece from either side. Um, it really does. I don't, as I texted Elias before, before us recording, like no one comes out looking very good. The ownership group doesn't come out looking very good, especially when you read through those things, like chiefly the, <laughs> the fact that they did want Ronaldo and, uh, and, and weren't exactly sure why Tosukul didn't want him that, that so much. And, uh, um, and then, and then from Tuchel's side, obviously, 
pretty damning that he had his agent going to some of these recruitment meetings instead of him. Like that's, I, I it's hard to defend that, right? And then it's also hard to defend um, the fact that obviously like the, the emotional intelligence, which they reference in the article, wasn't at the level that I think the ownership group thought it was at. And you kind of see that in, in the fact that there were, a number of players that wanted to leave in the, in the summer. And uh, I, I think, I think the combination of both, I think the, I think those two things are intertwined when you talk about like his involvement in the transfer strategy and the emotional intelligence, right? Like to how he handled the players um, because yes, the, I think the previous board, the previous regime put not only um Thomas Sukul but the new owners in a really really difficult position um not because of the sanctions specifically but but uh before believing what we heard about like with Rudiger where they basically didn't speak to didn't speak to him about contract negotiations for like five six months and he was very ready to to um resign um you think about like telling away young center backs that would have just saved a lot of money this season um it, it it's very difficult to get over um the fact that this summer was already difficult and unfortunately in some ways it seems like Tuchel's man management style along with kind of his total distaste for even like getting involved in the transfer for like, stuff yeah yeah, yeah like, exactly. like, that made things even more difficult and and that's yeah. where you kind of you can somewhat understand the ownership group feeling like, um, I mean, you can understand where the tension grew. I just sure. you understand where the tension, why the tension was growing for probably three months at least now. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think like the idea of sending your agent to recruitment meetings is really silly to me I read that. <laughs> because I feel like if you would ask almost any head coach or any top manager in the world, right. Would you want more or less involvement in the transfers that you make? I feel like nine times out of 10, it's going to be more, right. Yeah. And you want more control, more ownership over those. And this is kind of the, the one out of 10 scenario in which that wasn't the case. It's the very one- German. It's a very German <laughs> coach thing. Like, like they're they're not used to being in like that involved in it. They, like, you look at any. Do you um, think Nagelsmann is the team? same way? I would think so. I mean, he yeah. came. He, I, I know that he had a bad injury um, when he was younger, so he didn't end up playing a full career, and that's why he's so young as a coach and whatnot. But uh, I think it, like probably growing up in that environment, it's probably yeah. very normal to him. I mean, when you but, have, but again, but I don't know, but I don't know. Maybe like again, if you asked him, he would probably still say, <laughs> "I want to be more involved in it," even though he would accept that he's not. Right, right. I think that's the idea too, and I think the other, you know, domino, if I could point it out to all mm-hmm. of this, is really when the ownership change took place. I think two yep. really key pieces pieces to having Thomas Tuchel around that are no longer around: Marina and Petrček. Right. Talking about two people who Thomas Tuchel, you know, reportedly got along with very well. And it feels like that period when they left, right, obviously with Abramovich um, selling the club, 
kind of marked the end obviously of an era but more so a change in his style of management because he had to adapt he had to adapt to an entirely new culture entirely new set of owners right he's being asked different things all of a sudden people don't know him so you almost have a clean slate for better or for worse obviously in this case for worse but you do have to adapt to a completely new culture i think that's hard um so i think the growing tensions to your point from earlier like probably continued right from that that day forward yeah and look if i if i want to go like full um galaxy brain go go galaxy brain yeah yeah yeah. like like the whole reason i but if you know that meme where it's like the dom little domino and then they keep like uh progressively larger dominoes and then the top domino right if if i want to go full galaxy brain on that that first little domino is just purely Chelsea having no legitimate football structure like sporting structure in terms of like a a obvious sporting director obvious head of recruitment I mean they had a head of recruitment but obvious sporting director a a real like a real football structure above the coach yeah that's the first domino (laughs) and then the next domino is Thomas Tuchel getting sacked after (laughs) after being probably the best coach tactically and uh i mean no one of the best coach tactically that they've had since at least at least second spell Mourinho. let's let's yeah they say, say that um but yeah and and like where where i think like the dominoes come in is like is because there was no structure there when the sanctions happened and when new when the new owners came in it forced a situation where it had to be Tom Sukel getting very involved in the transfer strategy rather than whoever was the like incumbent sorting director. And, you know, it, 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 that is also what led to the tension between him and the owners. And then eventually here we are like, this is is kind of the, um, the end result of all this. And that's, that's where it's like really disappointing for me. Like, Like, not just because, he had a falling out with the new ownership, but because you can just see like this, it's kind of, it's a chaos. It's chaos up above like the coach. So, so of course that there's going to be like chaotic and unstable things happening. And that's where, you know, you can, as a Chelsea fan, you can only hope that going forward from here, there is a stable structure put in place um, that includes the the uh, next coach. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the next coach uh, because it was, was it announced today? I, with the news of I the queen so. and <laughs> all of it, like, yeah, I don't know. Slid in there, just today. slid right in there. Yeah. So I think it was announced today, at least Thursdays, the Thursday evenings when we're recording this. Um, let's talk about Graham Potter. Obviously, now former Brighton manager, someone I think you and I have been very fond of, right? And the way that he set up Brighton over the last three seasons have has been nothing short of impressive. But I think there are some, you know, concerning points, right, about Brighton um, that should certainly be noted. Um, I would love to get your thoughts. It you know just generally how you're feeling about Grant Potter coming in not necessarily relative to other potential managers, because I know how you feel about that, but just Graham <laughs> yeah. Potter on his own. How do you feel about that appointment? Yeah. I mean, I, I won't spend a lot of time on like the positives because literally this past week in our <laughs> episode, I talked about 
about how um how well Brighton have started the season, which feel really yeah. sympathetic towards them and their fans because they've yeah they they've built a great football club, a, like a very well run football club, and and <laughs> don't deserve to lose their coach sixty games into the season. Uh, but but like the, the positives with with Potter and um. The, the main one is kind of the adaptability, which is what I talked about, what we talked about this past week. Um, and that's something that I, and versatility. And I think that's something that will probably be needed as for this Chelsea team right now, because they are not a very well constructed squad in terms of um, just, it, just not a well constructed squad. It's, it's, it's still somewhat imbalanced. The players, um, you don't see obvious fits. Uh, in terms of players that complement one another, right? And, and it's going to take some creativity, but also, you know, not not creativity in the sense of playing certain players in in positions that they are not used to, as we saw at sometimes under Tuchel, right? So th- those are the positives, right? And the I don't want to call them negatives. I want to say question marks, which is which is something things that we are going to learn over the next probably let's just say for the rest of the season um is the ability to coach a team well that is now going to that he's coming from a team that is not used to having um the opposing team sit back very deep and it, not in every single game it did happen sometimes for Brighton right depending on who their opponent was but now he's going to be playing against teams who for the most part are going to more likely than not sit deeper against them um and so, you know, we're going to learn about how well he can coach through that specific situation. Uh, we're going to learn how well he coaches players who who just have bigger egos than than the ones at Brighton. And that being, I mean, just to stick on that point, I know some people are, are very concerned about that, but I, I'm not. The biggest ego on Chelsea's team now is the one that was brought in and literally at the at the last <laughs> the last day was Obama Yang. I yeah. do really think that no that outside of Obama Yang, I can't think of any other Chelsea player who has a particularly big ego. Like when you're talking about some of the best players on the team, like specifically I'm thinking of Conte being one of them. Like no ego there. Reese James hasn't shown any Fofana? sort of ego. Maybe Fofana. And he's young. So so maybe Fofana. Like like that. He he could have an ego for sure. Um but at the same time, like he, he doesn't care. He, he doesn't carry around the. Um, he's not going to be enough of a leader on the team to, to I think, be able to wield that. I, I say that because you know you still have Thiago Silva in the in the squad, and you still have um, uh, Kulabali, and and you just have more experienced players who I think will be able to put him in check if that becomes an issue. But, um, yeah, and then the. I'm trying to think that the, the third thing is just higher expectations. Just a, just how is he going to manage being at a club with higher expectations and a team that's expected to win every single game? Um, those are those are kind of like the three question marks, which we're just going to find out. Like he's, I, I don't I, think I anyone think, knows really the answer. Yeah. yeah, because it's not like you can really point to Brighton and say, okay, out of the egos that you had and out of the tactical adjustments that you had to make, where did it get really difficult for you? I would say he's improved year over year for the last three years in some aspect of the pitch, right? Especially defensively. I think we talked about it at length, but the ego thing, I think is just something that maybe 
maybe when he i believe because i believe he went to africa at the beginning of his career or something like that he, yeah. he coached the some of the worked with some of the national teams there um i would have to double check so maybe he was around some big name players back in the late 2000 yeah yeah but yeah yeah so like my point is i'm trying to think of evidence of when yeah to to go through this but it's it's just one of those things i think we will have to find out yeah i'm very curious about a bumiang though specifically like what role does he have in this team yeah (laughs) because i don't know (laughs) i don't know either it's i mean i wasn't even sure what it was prior to tuchel getting sacked so it's still i feel like that's still up in the air but uh, I think just overall, I was like thinking this earlier today. Like, I would have been really excited to see how well Graham Potter coaches at a bigger club. Like, regardless of whether it was at Chelsea or yeah. not, I would have been really excited to see how does he handle that because you know we, we've been such big fans of him these past three years. And I was and I've been like banging on the door that he should be, <laughs> he should be tapped up for one of these jobs. And, and yeah. Lo and behold, here <laughs> yeah, we are. Ex- yeah, I wasn't expecting the circumstances to be this for, <laughs> for him coaching Chelsea. I would have loved it, but like, uh, well, this was not the circumstances I was expecting. Um, yeah, you look, you asked for it to be a little too close to home, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It was it. like I I I've been begging for three years that oh, this guy deserves a top six job. This guy deserves <laughs> it, and the monkey paw curl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then you know what? Fair enough. Ooh. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how he manages a club of this stature, like just regardless of my of my uh, affiliation to Chelsea, for sure. I will say my two predictions from the beginning of the year for both Spain and England are going pretty well at this point. Mm. Uh, both Chelsea and Sevilla not making top four is kind of my thing. I don't know if that changes anything. His appointment with uh, with with staying in the top four or not. I think ask like ask me after the World Cup. That's how I feel about it. Ask me after yeah. the World Cup. Yeah, and and look, I I said it a couple weeks ago. Like I I, I said, hey, I don't think signing a striker is going to change that much with this. Is going to change much of the fortunes with this team. <laughs> I don't. I should have also said I also don't think changing the coach will will change the fortunes that much either. Like the the problems are in the way the squad is built right now. And it's just something that's going to take time. And um, yeah, I, I, I think my, my expectations for Chelsea finishing top four has not really changed with this sacking. If I'm going to be totally honest, but before the season, I, I did say that I thought it finished fourth, but I also said that I could quite easily see <laughs> Arsenal um, or even potentially Manchester United, if they got their shit together finishing fourth um and and i still feel that way so um i i i'm i'm really excited like i said to see how he performs under this pressure and i have not changed my expectations that much on how well i think this team is going to play for the rest of the season so um i i'm keeping i'm keeping my expectations quite mid-level right now i'll take your word for it well, we'll obviously talk about this over the coming weeks and months. It's not going anywhere. Uh, unless they sack Grant Potter by the end of the season, which would <laughs> just be comical. Um, but oh, in the meantime, I think that wraps up all the questions I had, unless there's anything else you want to go over. No, I, the the one last thing I'll say is, and I, and I texted you today too, 
we could have a combination of Sir Alex Ferguson, Pep Guardiola, and Jose Mourinho incarnate as the coach. If there is still no structure above him, <laughs> then then it doesn't matter. Like everything is everything is um is extremely unstable without it. So yeah, um, I, I'm obviously hope the Grand Potter does well, but I also hope that the club um, figures out <laughs> you know how to be run like a smart club. You should write a Substack um, article about this. <laughs> I'd be I'd be very very interested to hear. Uh, I yeah you know I was, on, on upper well, management oh and upper, yeah yeah I mean, unfortunately there's only like like I could probably count it on two hands the amount of clubs in Europe that are that run well really yeah, oh oh I thought you were gonna say run poorly I was like you mean the oh no opposite. no no it's very easy <laughs> to be run poorly it's actually the oh norm. yeah yeah exactly I agree well ladies and gentlemen thank you as always for listening we'll be back probably on Monday you'll hear our next episode it will be a video episode. And we're going to be talking about the Champions League, the first round of Champions League matches. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back soon. And of course, stay safe. Thanks, guys.